Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, I'm Arno from Hong Kong, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. I am Catherine Whitaker. I'm talking to you live. Well, not live. I mean, as I'm saying it, it's live. But as you're listening to it, it is not. But crucially, I am in the Putney Exchange Shopping Centre and I'm joined by David Law. Spiritual home, Putney Exchange Centre. It's been a while. We're back. Well, it's not It's not been a while for me. <laughs> it's been a while for, for the tennis podcast. Which as, is as all the matters, really. Yes, we are installed in a coffee shop, which we won't name because they don't give us free coffee. No, not yet anyway. <laughs> but they do give us their warm hospitality. Do we name them which, in the hope fair, that they, they will start? Which, to be fair, they give to everybody or... that, that, gives them, that buys coffee from them. Yes. Uh, but it's, uh, it's good to be back. Very good. I mean, mostly because it's so handy for me yeah David's travelled all the way from Solihull I've basically gone the breadth of the country to be here Uh, but we're very glad that we are here and we're very glad to be bringing this new podcast because there is a lot to talk about somehow it sort of ended up I mean I know it was always going to be with an ATP Masters 1000 but with Sharapova winning in Tianjin suddenly uh, there is lots to talk about it and with both races hotting up well one race is complete the other race is very much hotting up for for Singapore and London and uh, as I was putting the finessing touches to our agenda today David I really hovered over the order over what to lead with I had a real sort of BBC News-esque um, dilemma news dilemma and uh, yesterday on Five Live Russell Fuller uh, our colleague from Five Live uh, he led with Maria Sharapova over Federer winning Shanghai uh, and I'm loath to disagree with the BBC so that's where we'll start well, as I'm well. Well I'm kind of also the BBC, shall, shall I argue with it? I'll tell you what we'll do very quickly is just as a tennis podcast lead we'll go with thank you very much to Arno for uh, introducing the podcast at the very start of this. Mr Kickstarter backer himself one of the, uh, one of the many that have uh, got behind us and enabled this podcast to happen in 2017. Where does he come in the, the race for best podcast well, intro, which I'm sure, you introduced last week. I'm sure he'll understand that whilst he is in the playoff positions, he's up there. He is a little behind Ella Ehrlich of last week, who was just amazing. It's not really a competition, is it? No. I mean, it's... Uh, Unless you've got yeah, any pets you want to put on the it's air. It's a fix. Oh, hang on a second. Well... <laughs> I know this is radio, but uh, for the purposes of the tape, my eyes just lit up. Now, as did the eyes of Maria Sharapova yesterday, because she clinched her 36th 
career title, but crucially her first title since returning from her ban, which we all know about. It clearly meant a lot to her. She beat uh, the Belarusian teenager Arena Sabalenka in the final. She fought back from 1-4 down in the first set, won 5 down in the second set. The final took... uh, little over two hours she's risen up 29 places in the rankings just this week and is now at number 57 I should say of course she was a world card entry to the tournament now she was you know ranking aside head and shoulders the best player in in that you know looking at it on paper she ought to have won it taking any fitness considerations out of the equation but she really had to fight in that final and she did do it and there's really no doubting her tenacity or her level really and and, I mean and pleasingly her fitness as well because she's got through that event although I didn't see all the matches she's got through them all she's won them all some of them were hard fought actually as well I think the final there was a there was a 10-8 tie break in it something like that Um, so it bodes well for her future prospects I mean winning a tournament like that is kind of what I would rather have seen her trying to do six months ago, to be honest. That's old news now. It has happened. Um, I just think that this... I think this is better all round. I think this is better for her. Win a lower-level tournament. This was an international series tournament. As you say, you look down the list of players... A lot of, a lot of players in there I, I didn't know too much about, to be honest, in that tournament in Tianjin. She won the tournament. She went there and she did the, the business... We, we talked sketchily about what sort of prospects she might have for the future. I, I think she is, fitness permitting, going to be a serious contender next year. I, I really do. Her level all the way through this comeback. Okay, she's had, a, she's had physical breakdowns, but actually I think her level is arguably higher than when she went away. I could see her winning the Australian Open. I could. I'd, and, I, and I say that because I'm starting to think, as much as uh, the Australian Open did their launch this week, and Craig Diley, uh, bless him, very optimistically said, I've spoken to all the players and they're all going to be there. It's going to be, Serena, you know, the greatest. Andy. And I admire his optimism. And he certainly wasn't lying at all, but that was the, um, the best possible. What he was saying is nobody has actively said that they're not going to be there. Yes. Um, so, you know, on the information we have at the moment, we've no reason not to think that all the best players are not going to be there. I mean, Bjorn Borg hasn't confirmed that he's not going to play either, so who knows? Um, but I just looking at things, we've had a couple of, of Serena Williams posted the first picture of her daughter, Olympia, on Instagram this week. She's adorable, obviously. Um, I'm just starting to think, and I could be way off base here, um, but I spoke to a, a personal trainer this morning, and okay, this is, I, I know that Serena Williams is a physical marvel, you know, not like other human beings. I get that, but we haven't seen any pictures of her in training or anything uh, in the gym. A couple of people have told me that they have seen pictures have they? of her. her I've not seen any publicly. Incredibly trim. She definitely does. I mean, going on the the pictures of her in the late stages of pregnancy, I'm not suggesting she's not trim and, you know, still a formidable athlete. I think it would take, you know, probably about eight consecutive pregnancies for for her to to not look like a formidable athlete. But realistically, she's not rocking up in Australia unless she thinks she can win it. And I think in order for that to be the case for her mentally, she needs to be in training now. And I... I don't know if she is. I don't know if she is. The, the, the personal trainer that I spoke to like said, 
even somebody of the absolute highest echelon and, and obviously the, the, the woman I spoke to has never worked with anybody of an echelon of the like of Serena Williams. Not many have, but they would need to be in training now. Yes, and I, I, I could imagine she, that. She might be. She might be but, doing it privately, but I'm not sure that she is. And with that being the case, I think... I mean, Sharapova now... This hasn't changed this week. It's just come out this week. She has a positive, a winning head-to-head record against every single active player other than Serena. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. That's that's very interesting. And, and actually, when you put her up head-to-head against most players since she's come back, she's she's certainly not looked overwhelmed, apart from that, that drubbing she took from Simona Halep the other week. And I, I think that that was Halep at her very best, and I think Sharapova was some way short of her best that day. Um, she certainly look her game certainly stands up at this age that she's at and but the big question is can she physically keep it going she's had so many issues that forearm shoulder all the things she's had she had the the one way she pulled out I think in Rome uh, leg problem you know she's in it she she has been breaking down and let's not forget again two years ago we thought she was retiring so um, that says a lot about how much frustration she has had to endure physically Serena in terms of can she come back and be competitive can she come back and win the Australian Open well she can I I look I I think if she's anywhere close she can because don't forget her level is so far and above better than everybody else's that there's quite a there's quite a buffer there that she can fall back on but equally she's not taking any risk she's not risking rocking up in Australia and losing to Maria Sharapova there is no way she's risking that. Yeah, but she. Can't she's not know leaving that, that down. To, I think if she's at her best, she does know. She, she in her mind, she knows. Do I've got her think, number. If I'm think, at my, if I'm at my best, I've got Maria Sharapova's number. Do you not think ninety percent Serena would just think, you know what? I still think I can beat her. May, probably, but I'm not sure she'd want to leave any percentage to chance. But where where else would she come back? I, I think she. Oh look, I think if she. I think she's oh, I th- probably going for it at, the, at this stage. I'd love, I'd love her to be going for it. I'd, I, and may, and maybe maybe I, that's all part of the plan that she is in the gym fifteen hours a day. I haven't even got an just, event to sell, and I, I'm of the Craig Tiley <laughs> view. <laughs> I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I'll tell you what, the Australian Open is going to be amazing, isn't it? We've got I mean, Sharp over back. You've got Serena Williams on her return. You've got all these players who've made their breakthrough and become world number one. Then look at the men's game. You've got Djokovic, you've got Murray coming back, Stan Wawrinka. I mean, who- even if some of them aren't there, it is, look, we will talk about this plenty when the time comes, but it is going to be one of the all-time extraordinary Grand Slams, or certainly ought to be on paper. But anyway, look, I... I Serena aside, I, she's a contender for Australia. I don't think, I don't see her getting the better of Serena. I don't see her overturning that head-to-head, that one-sided no. head in the way that Federer has. It. He's not overturned it in the numbers, but I mean, he's turned it around. She doesn't in terms have of, that ability. She's, no, she's not going to do that. Um, let, it, let, one thing I've done this week, David, re, I must admit reluctantly is I've ordered Maria Sharapova's autobiography. I don't want to read it in that it's, there are other books on my shelf, that, but I feel like it is my duty as a tennis journalist to have read that. I agree. We had this conversation a while back. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, one of the things... Um, uh, I was chatting to a few other uh, people in the tennis world that, who have read it, and they were telling me how Serena-focused it is. 
how much there is about Serena in there. And by contrast, Serena's book from a few years ago didn't even mention Maria Sharapova. Who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, anyway. Which, which I find very interesting. But anyway, I haven't read it. I will read it. Yeah, we'll get the proper review from Catherine when she's bothered to read it. Um, and you, maybe, maybe hang I on, Dave. Are you saying you've read it? No. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> a bit busy. I'll lend it, I'll lend it to you. Okay. Uh, it might take me a while to wade my way through it, yeah. just as a warning. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, um, just as I was going to say, though, incidentally, to, could could Maria Sharp ever come back better than before? I said that I think she was she's playing marginally better now than when she actually had to stop for a while, and that's basically because she was so in and out of injury all the time but if I were to go back a year before that the Australian Open of 2015 when she played Serena Williams and I thought she had a real chance if ever she was going to have a chance because she was playing so well and she still lost she got a handily in straight sets and she played well but she just got knocked into the into the next year basically by Serena Williams so um, I, I don't see Maria Sharapova coming back a better player than she's ever been, put it that way. No, nor do I. And Roger Federer is a better player, arguably, than he's and ever we'll been. And we'll come on to that, David, all in so. good time, all in good time. In fact, we'll come on to it in just a few moments. But before that, I must just quickly uh, give very rightful mentions to the other WTA titleists from this week. Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova uh, beat Dara Gavrilova to win her third title of the year in Hong Kong. So That's pretty good go- year going. Of, of her career, pa- Pavlyuchenkova. To me, she's an underachiever overall. If you look at what she did as a junior and you look at her trajectory over seven or eight years of her career, she's been in the 20s and 30s her whole career. This time, she's going to finish at her career high ranking. It'll be only just outside those top 10 places it's it's been a really good year for her yeah i'd agree with all of that and we also have barbara stritzova winning the title in Linz, beating magdalena rabarakova in the final yes uh, I, I, I didn't get a chance to see that match and i can imagine there were some spectacular rallies between two players who love to dink it about and get to the net and do all the sort of things that i'm going to do when i play you and uh, in our rematch slice um, and dice is what so he calls I, I, it slice I, and dice i should go and get the recording of that match just to tune up Really, I'm sure it's available on uh, WTA Stream. I'm sure. Um, now is the time, David, that you can unleash all of your thoughts about Shanghai, and in particular, well, there's plenty of other talking points aside from the Federer Nadal final. But of course, we have to talk about uh, Federer winning it, him beating Nadal in that final, which uh, oh. m- maybe controversially, I'm going to say it was a slightly disappointing final. Yeah, it it was. was an extraordinary performance from Roger Federer. And there is a question mark, perhaps more than a question mark, over Nadal's knee, which we'll talk about in a moment. But as a final, it was a bit of a letdown. It it was a letdown because I think coming into it, Nadal had won 16 matches in a row. He'd won the US Open, he'd won Beijing, he'd reached the final, he'd squeezed past Dimitrov, he'd he'd won a really good match against Marin Cilic in the semi-finals. And I thought, right, well, actually Federer on his way to the final didn't look as convincing as earlier this year and interestingly putting it to to the vote pre-final there were 700 votes and 65% or so were thinking that Nadal would win that final and that's on the back of what was it three wins in a row this year from from Federer over Nadal and and two of them really comfortable Um, so I was surprised actually that, that that many people thought that Nadal would win to me, 
this two things struck me as as this final went on and post this final one is that Federer has just been liberated by the the realization that his normal game will not beat Nadal and he's got 10 years of evidence to prove that that if he just played his normal game it would not be enough against this guy just whipping these looping cross-court left-handed forehands into his backhand corner and he has just liberated himself by saying fine I'm just going for it all the time and you are not going to have a single chance to get into one of those rallies because I am going to be teeing off like I'm playing against a kid and if it goes in great if it doesn't I don't care and and that I think has relaxed him it's made him go in and think you know it's all on my racket I, I, I used to say it now I really mean it because if I connect there's nothing you can do and he's been connecting enough yeah, it's interesting. Mark Petchy persistently made the point um, in commentary, both in the final and throughout the week, but particularly in the final in relation to, to Rafa, that even the unforced errors that Federer is making, to to an extent, obviously it's not ideal, but to an extent they've benefited him because as long as he's going, as long as they're aggressive unforced errors, they, that, that's not giving Rafa any rhythm either. It's still not a rally. For, yeah, so you can see the stress the levels dark. of Nadal rising in this match. It was a perfect microcosm of the problem that has been brought to him this year that he can't find his rhythm against him and he doesn't know where to stand to receive. I also think Federer is liberated by feeling like he's got him. He's got him mentally at the moment. I think it was an incredibly smart strategic decision on reflection to not play that clay court season. I think he knows he can't beat him on clay or is unlikely to beat him on clay. I wouldn't say he wouldn't have a chance. I think it would be closer perhaps now than a lot of their meetings on clay in the past. But uh, And mentally didn't want didn't to risk damaging that mental hold he has over Nadal now. I also think what I heard at, at the time, and again, this is, you know... Hearsay. I've not heard it from the mouth of Roger Federer, from Severin Luti or Ivan Lubicic, but I can absolutely believe it, having watched that Shanghai match, is that Federer was relieved to have lost to Del Potro because he knew he, he wasn't in the shape to beat Nadal at the US Open and he didn't want to sacrifice the mental hold he feels he has over Nadal. He would rather have lost to Del Potro then have gone one stage further and have lost to Nadal. We don't know if that would have happened, but he uh, he felt physically that he wasn't in the right shape to beat Nadal. Think, I mean, I, I know what she's saying. I, I, I personally don't necessarily buy it because I don't think he looked that great during Shanghai either. And my, my view is when he plays Nadal, it's a different match, different thing. It's now that now he feels like he's cracked it and that he can just come out winging like that. I think, it, like I said, that liberating him has done a, an awful lot of good for him because it means that he doesn't get drawn into these long matches with him anymore. He doesn't get ground down because there isn't time. The head-to-head is now 23-15 in Adol's favour. I, I don't see as much as they keep surprising us and doing the unexpected, both of them. Uh, I don't see Federer overturning that. I think he's, no, he's going to. He'll end his career with a losing head-to-head over Nadal. However. He's won the last five, uh, including the, the the last four, which is all the matches since their mutual reincarnation. Um, and 
I do think this changes the complexion of the sort of the greatest of all time debate, which we're not going to have, by the way. And I think most areas of that debate are redundant and annoying and sort of cyclical and frustrating. But I do think one of the more valid and interesting nuances to that debate always used to be the fact that how can you say somebody is the greatest tennis player of all time and they have a strong losing record against their greatest rival? I, I always found that a, a, a interest, really interesting facet to the debate. And that is now, although he will end his career, I believe, with a losing record against Nadal, it's, that's not such a strong argument anymore against Federer no. being being the greatest the fact that he has turned the tables so extraordinarily is it, it, it almost it almost swings that nuance it swings the pendulum in the other way it's yeah, something it, you can't in, use in the that plus column quite you certainly can't use that as a stick to beat Federer with the way you could previously um, the other thing that struck me watching that final was that it changes the way we look at their respective years because I feel as though Nadal has spent a lot of this year in Federer's shadow as wonderful as his year has been and as I mean he's won two Grand Slam titles he's he's the world number one right now he's gonna most likely finish world number one and yet I feel as though most people think that Federer has had the better year. And I think Do that you that's so? interesting. Yeah, I, I think if you if you asked most people, they would say, Oh yeah, it wasn't it amazing the way Federer came out of nowhere and won the won the Australian Open. If I asked you, who would you know, you, you, you come on, you, you would say, I think we have talked more about how amazing Federer has been this year than how amazing Nadal has been this year. And more recently I feel as though this last few Have weeks we? yeah ha- I would say so okay. I, this last few weeks I think Nadal with this run of 16 wins in a row has redressed that balance to some degree obviously he's won another slam but then he started to streak away and he's, he's, he's underlined his dominance but this final and the manner of the victory and the way it was exactly the same as Indian Wells and Miami again shakes you. It makes you think, well, hold on. Federer's absolutely thrashing him now. I mean, it's not even close. They look like they're on a different level um, when they're playing against each other. That's not to say, and, and, and it's quite interesting, I think that whether it was through Benito uh, Nadal's PR manager or whether it was from his own mouth, I did read quotes that the year's not over yet. We're not done yet. And I... I the desperation of I know they were all pally and everything at the Labour Cup but the desperation for Nadal to beat Federer now before the end of this year or at the Australian Open is going to be he's going to be just drooling about the thought of that well he is still the world number one he has a gap of 2,000 points which sounds like an awful lot however Federer is scheduled to play Basel Paris and London there's a total of 3,000 points on offer at those three events. He can do it. He says it's not a priority for him to end the year as world number one. I think what we all dream of is a Federer-Nadal match at the O2 to decide the title and to decide the year-end number one. I think don't think Federer is going to do it. I think Nadal is going to finish the year world number one. However, what you're saying there suggests to me... It, it's more important to just get a win over Federer, maybe, than, well, than to... No, I, I, I look, I think, I think Nadal desperately wants to finish what he's been doing throughout the year. I think they'd both like to finish world number one. I think, I think Nadal would probably 
savour it more. I think it matters more in the context of his, his year because partly because I just think Federer is just a different. He's a different character and. He, he is playing to his own rules, in a way, in his own mind. Really... Nadal's always talked about rankings more than Federer has. Maybe that's, you know, for a lot of the time, Federer hasn't had to worry about rankings at all. Um, but, you know, even in his dip years, he would always say, oh, but I, look, I'm, I'm six in the race and I'm going to qualify for London. And he would always have an eye on the rankings well, in a way that, yeah, that Federer I, I, I think it, it fits with his... He, he likes things to have a logical appearance to them and having a calendar year and seeing where you end up at the end of the year makes sense to Nadal I think what what must be hard for him to swallow is he spent a career having this winning record against Federer and then but Federer is still kind of getting more of the headlines as, the, as, as being this all-time great and now this year Nadal has actually won more generally and more points and yet Federer has won these matches in a row and it, <laughs> yet again it ends up being a debate but look well the other thing is extraordinarily Nadal doesn't have a World Tour Finals title to his name and and look the other thing is most of the I think in fact all of the attempts that Nadal would have had to win that have been on maybe not a quick indoor service but an indoor service and it does favour Federer and Djokovic it just does oh without question I mean Federer loves that court at the O2 almost as much as he loves the Wimbledon centre court I'd say it's a close run thing for for him to sort of play a match for his life and to choose a court to play it on I think it would be close run between those two courts I really do it suits him down to, down to the ground and I feel for Nadal um, what a difference in that 12 months makes <laughs> think back 12 months ago Andy Murray was trying to overhaul Novak Djokovic as world number one and ended up doing it in the last match of the year and now we've we've had news come through this week that, that from Simon Briggs and the Telegraph that um, Murray's finally back on the practice court. And, and a year ago we would have been saying the same, I guess, about Federer and Nadal. It, it is incredible the difference one year can make. And no, we are not going to start making predictions about where we'll be 12 months well, from now. you say that. No, we're not. No, we are not. Um, we have to talk about the knee because I'm sure as as they are listening to this, Nadal fans will be going, hang on, hang on. But he was having issues with the knee. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it wasn't it only the, the final that he had the strapping on. I don't remember. It was only the final he had the strapping on. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'd, I'd, we'd been talking on the podcast and I'd been talking about on my uh, tennis radio commentary throughout the week, you know, how extraordinary it is that not only is Nadal doing what he's doing but he's doing it without any strapping on his knees and then lo and behold he rocks up with the strapping on was it his left knee or his right I think his left knee um but I'm willing to be corrected on that he said after the match he confirmed it wasn't precautionary but he didn't want to go into any more detail he said after the final is not the time to talk about it so admitting there's something but then we know there's something he has tendonitis in his knees and that's not a curable condition so how how can it not surface at some point he the guy's in his 30s he's played nine a thousand matches how and and the way he plays them how can you not have tendonitis in your knees or or at least be at risk of it The, the question mark is how serious is it whether he can keep plowing his way through these tournaments to the end of the year and still have enough time off at the end of the year in order to to recover for the new year it's these players managing their bodies it's it's a challenge at all times yeah i mean more so for 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 nadal i mean if you look at nadal's canister 
the, the effort he puts into winning matches is it just takes more from the canister than it does for Federer. It's just the nature of his game. I mean, yeah. Anyway, there are there are other talking points uh, from Shanghai that sort of for been somewhat eclipsed by the fact that we had the dream Federer Nadal final. Although in the end, not quite the dream Federer Nadal final. My voice is being slightly eclipsed by the sound of coffee beans grinding in the background. Should we go and get there. One? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right then, so other very important talking points from Shanghai last week. I've picked out a few. You're welcome to throw in a few more. I'm going to read them out and you can decide where to start, David. Del Potro, the performances, the wrist, the heartbreak, the amazing match against Federer. Dimitrov, just let that hang in the air. Dominic Team losing to Viktor Troitschke in his first re- match. I don't remember that. And Nick Kyrgios retiring mid-match against Steve Johnson. Yeah, well, first of all, Del Potro, just another great progression really in his comeback and he seems to be starting to hit the backhand again finally after years of not being able to pushing it and having to slice it and then he took this fall I I didn't see it but um, I heard he he injured his wrist and and even after the 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 match it was questionable whether he was going to be able to play that semi-final and and he did and he made a heck of a heck of a job of it it was like watching Bambi David I mean it was it was gut-wrenching it, it, uh, not in terms of plot lines exactly? but in terms of the, the the raw emotion that you 
feel watching him and then you hear the news that he's gone straight to hospital and just everything it felt like the tennis world was collapsing um it was a fall was it it was a fall yeah onto his uh onto his left wrist he goes he goes straight into hospital and you're thinking oh my goodness what what is the universe doing to Juan Martín del Potro cut this guy a break there's all this talk about. I mean, the, on the Sky Sports coverage of the um, in the build-up to the semi-finals. Obviously, the the Nadal del Potro semi-final was second. I think they had Ross Hutchins um, on the coverage, and and they were not quite assuming that Del Potro wouldn't play, but de- debating what would and should happen if, in in this sort of scenario where a, a semi one of the semi-finals doesn't get played so effectively 50% of the matches that the crowd are promised don't happen you know should you bring in the losing quarter-finalist from the day before you know there was not quite an assumption that Del Potro wouldn't play but a very much a this is highly likely what were they saying to, should happen oh it was they weren't he wasn't saying anything should happen he he very um strategically and politically ran through all the options a lot of which happen? i've just listed i think if the withdrawal takes place pre-match i think there's a strong argument for bringing back the course finalist hmm. from the day before yeah interesting one or for, yeah. from from the match before yeah i mean the issue you have is that you know they might have they might have left well they better stick around then yeah, I, I mean, I can't see many downsides or unintended consequences of that without having sort of analysed it fully. But I, th- I certainly think that would be worth a trial. Hmm. Agreed. You're, you're being very... Um, your face is saying you've got more to say about that. Than no, I, I mean, the only thing I can think of is if they they need to get to the next tournament for a particular match. But yeah, hey, you'd ru- keep, you'd, them, keep them there. You'd surely sacrifice a, a first well, a first round or a, for a... I remember being at the uh, the ATP finals in, I guess we're going back to about 2001 and Richard Krychek was, was the alternate and I remember him sticking around, watching all these matches, practicing, helping the other players and then I remember seeing him in the restaurant as the final group match ticked on to start time and he, and he was looking at his watch, watching for them and looking at the TV, looking at his flight reservation and, he, and as soon as the first serve went in he said, right, I'm off. Wasn't enjoying his lovely holiday then? No, he had a good time but he didn't want to go. <laughs> I've had it now. I can't play now so I'm, bye. <laughs> so. What was the location of the, what city? That would have been Hanover in Germany. Is that a, a, is that a, a bad reflection on no, Hanover? No, not no, really. No? And, and they did do probably the best food I've ever had at a tennis tournament. Oh my Big word! Words, David. Yes, Big well, words. I'm telling you. Um, Go and get in a time machine and sample it. The Del Potro Federer match was unbelievable, wasn't it? Uh, having Just, not seen it, I right, can't okay. tell you that. But I assume it was, given the, the look on your face. Um, oh, it, w- it was... Uh, I was following I mean, it on Twitter, you know. Well, well, I was actually at my kids... Uh, uh, my, my daughter was playing her first ever tennis match professionally. I say professionally. professionally. Okay, <laughs> Should I say competitively? Let's say competitively. And my son was uh, playing football. Oh, and dear. So, this, uh, is what, this is how yeah. pushy parenting starts. Well, I'll tell you, I was there on the sideline. I was doing that thing on the sideline where you're just sort of shouting and then if somebody does something to your kid you're just sort of holding yourself back from getting on the pitch of course did she win no but you know it's a start isn't it David got to start somewhere sure Federer didn't win his first well anyway (laughs) right then um yeah I, I, I don't know what to say there was a game in the 
second set in the second set where Federer had, had five break points on the Del Potro serve and I've never seen anybody play break points as well as Del Potro played those five and you just thought goodness me is this going to be is this going to be one of those matches where he just as much as it feels like Federer should surely break through at some stage you know he built so much momentum and so much pressure is he just not going to is Federer going to be unlucky um, and of course, he broke through on the he? on the sixth time of asking, and it it was it was unbelievable. But and I know Federer ended up winning, but it did you know it also emphasised for me how much the, the 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 mental side of things is a factor even for Federer because Del Potro's in Federer's head, probably less so now that he got that win, eked out that win. But after the U.S. Open, Del Potro was definitely in Federer's head it was an irritated Federer in that match he was having issues with with all sorts of things you know he had he was he was unshaven which added to the sort of angry Federer vibe that there was what did you think of the old unshaven Federer I know, I know sort of clothing and all that sort of thing isn't really your thing but I did sit down to, to watch the final with my wife and kids and my wife sat down and said he hasn't shaved what was the matter with him uh, it doesn't work that for her you know? I Look, it's Roger Federer. You know, he didn't look dreadful, well, but um, I, I would opt for a clean-shaven Federer. If, right. Okay. Um, should we just touch upon Grigor Dimitrov well, very, very quickly? It's, it's same as a week ago. Really, he played a really good match against Nadal. At times, he was. Should playing we just out run in mind. a clip? Should we run in a clip of what we said a week ago well, about I, after <laughs> Beijing? I, I, I said two things about it. He's playing out of his mind, and he he's just encapsulated his whole career in terms of potential by hitting three just ridiculous backhand winners to get to break point, and then he didn't break. You know, yeah. and and, th- and then then he encapsulated it by being the better player at times and not winning. So, yeah, you know. David, David and I were exchanging texts during that match, and in particular during the during the final set. And David texted me saying, uh, "Dimitrov's playing." out of his mind and uh, I composed a reply which just said and yet dot 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 but I didn't send it and at that stage that was when he was having the break points when you know if it wasn't Grigor Dimitrov and, and you didn't know you know the, the history and everything you'd think this guy is probably going to go on a win how can he play this well and not win but unfortunately I just had a feeling that he wasn't gonna and he didn't and I sent you that message after he had got broken, and um, I think when Nadal was serving for the match, and, and then I said, uh, "By the way, I've had that text composed for the last 15 minutes," and you said, "Oh, that's very arrogant and smug of you." <laughs> and and I, you know, I wanted to be wrong. I, not necessarily that I wanted Nadal to lose at all. I just didn't want it to be a heartbreaking defeat from the jaws of victory for Grigor Dimitrov and. That's what it was. Overall, though, I think he should be pretty encouraged because he's playing well now, and because he knows pretty much he's going to be at the tour finals. But that's, so he's that's breaking not, new ground, isn't he? We know Grigor Dimitrov can play well. That's yeah, not, why done, is that a breakthrough? He's done for it him. enough to get into the tour finals. Yeah, Admittedly, that's he's been big. helped along the way by about four notable people not being yeah. available to play. I don't at think all. he's mathematically assured of it yet. But we're, we're going to go into the various I races. I think he could be really good there if he got there. Anyway. He could be really good anywhere, David. No, but I think that that would suit him. I do feel that tour finals, O2, big lights, um, round robin, 
not quite, you know, he can let it all flow. And Oh, and then he draws Nadal in the group stages and the same thing happens again. Anyway, I hope I'm wrong. Um, we have to touch upon Kyrgios before we move we on to talk about the races. Um, we won't dwell on it too much um, because it kind of feels like old news now. It happened last Tuesday and I'm sure everyone sort of read all sorts about what happened he obviously, you know, having reached the final in Beijing, very understandably could have been mentally and physically drained. He arrived uh, in Beijing on the Sunday. No, he arrived in Shanghai on the Monday, played doubles that evening, won the doubles, then played his first singles match on the Tuesday against Steve Johnson. And it was a good first set, a tetchy first set from Kyrgios. Very much served, dominated, went into a tie break. Um, and there was a call in the tie break, which Kyrgios was unhappy about. Anyway, what ended up happening was, reportedly Kyrgios was heard muttering under his breath, if I lose this tie break, I'm going to throw in the towel. Uh, he ended up losing the tie break, and without having made clear that there was any kind of injury or having called the trainer or even explaining to the umpire or Steve Johnson, uh, he approached the net and threw in the towel and uh, didn't do press after the match so everyone was left wondering a little bit what on earth was going on Uh, he later released a statement saying um, he had a stomach bug and that was what caused him um, to retire from the match but it's fair to say he came in for a fair amount of stick for it I'll let you have your say we debated it um, at length (laughs) Uh, on WhatsApp this week. My feeling is it wasn't okay. It wasn't cool what he did. I, I, I commentated the match and uh, <laughs> I, I know that not giving 100% effort does happen. I, don't, I, I think he, he was giving 100% effort in that first set and, and I think being knackered from... Beijing and you know I've no idea if he genuinely did have a stomach bug we've got no reason not to take that at face value but it didn't look good at the time I don't know why he couldn't have explained to Steve Johnson quickly mate I'm, I've got a stomach bug even to the umpire you know there's a whole crowd there that were really into that match I think that's um, a bit disrespectful I don't know why it took him so long to release a statement look I don't think we should come down on him like a, a ton of bricks. I, I do I do believe that um, there is more spotlight on what he does and how he behaves, and there are others that have done and do do this kind of thing, um, and we perhaps don't talk about it as much, if at all. Um, but then he invites a lot of attention as well. You know, the day before, he released this big article on the player's voice about how he's found his purpose, his raison d'etre in tennis, it, and it's to build a... Um, a, uh, a centre for disadvantaged kids, which is a wonderful thing. I read that and I felt uplifted and joyous. And not only has Nick Kyrgios found a, a reason to give full effort on the tennis court, but you know it's for this wonderful cause and that's fantastic. And then, but you know, there is the dichotomy that is Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, look, it didn't look great. I I, I would agree with you a hundred percent. In an ideal world. Nick Kyrgios would be all those wonderful things that we know he is capable of being all the time. And he would be able to go from week to week just trotting this out as a matter of course without any dramas whatsoever, doing all the wonderful stroke play and and fulfilling his enormous potential skill set-wise. 
but he's a human being who isn't made exactly the same as everybody else and we're all different um, and I feel as though if you go back a year it's basically the same as what happened in Shanghai it slightly manifested itself a little bit differently but the week before he tapped out against Mishas Verev a year ago in Shanghai he was incredible in winning the title, I think, in Tokyo, Tokyo that time. Was Tokyo, it was yeah. one of the most uplifting performances I've, I've seen all year. So exciting. The same thing happened against Alexander Zverev the week before in Beijing. I think this guy hits the wall and can't, can't hack it anymore. But I, would have, I, I personally, I'm sure others would have been uh, up in arms because I, I do think there is a culture of people enjoying being up in arms about things that Nick Kyrgios does and... You know, yeah, I, I do believe that's the case. I would have been fine with him pulling out of that match and citing mental exhaustion, physical well, exhaustion. Well, well, I'm fine it, with that. I get if, it. I've got no problem with him not being a robot. Sure. I have an awful and lot of sympathy for that. Do you always that. know when you've got mental exhaustion until it hits you? Always? No, but I think to... S- Maybe he was first trying things, to do the right thing first, and play the match. The first things first, David, he didn't give that as the reason for retiring from that no, match. No, because that's not acceptable to people, is it? Telling it, people you've got a stomach bug is. Writing yeah, down but a David, little statement... Yeah, David, you're making huge assumptions. It will never be acceptable until... I think that's acceptable. I think that's sure, more sure than do, acceptable. But, but listen to the reaction when he tapped out of the match and walked off the court. Everybody's that, right on, saying, David. there's nothing wrong with him. Look at him. Hang on, He's David. Fine. Why but did playing? you watch the match? No, I didn't. I think if you're overheard saying, if I lose this set, I'm going to retire, that's not good, is it? No, maybe, maybe it's you realise... It's the mental exhaustion that maybe, only applies Maybe if he's realising at that stage he's had enough and he just can't handle it anymore. Look, I'm not I saying it's great. I'm, I'm not saying it's great. It's not great. It's, how he but handles seen, it is not great. I would have had so no people, problem with him retiring. Said, at the outset. Yeah, I, I'm, I still say you can't always know. You, you might go onto the court... With an injury and, and say, I'm going to give it a go. Fine, well, why, but he's not said you, that. Why didn't you He's not said that, David. You're making non-evidence-based assumptions. Sure. In the absence of evidence, I'm giving you but a there possibility. Is evidence. There, the, the evidence we have is, is what we saw and what he said. And on the basis of that, I'm it's not great. What, what he said is the acceptable side of things because it is acceptable for people to have a physical injury mm. in everybody's eyes so and not play the rest of the you match. You think it's acceptable to Steve Johnson to say, if I lose a set, I'm going to retire, and then just to it's walk not, off the court not and great, not explain but, to him But I also the saw, over the last few weeks, I saw Coco Vanderway leave with, with an injury. I saw Sloane Stevens lose her four sets since the US Open title, 6-2-6. Six two six love six six three six love. Yeah, do, and I, she just walked off, and and nobody batted an eyelid. I'd say I'd people say people do it with injuries valid, all the time. It's a going, valid point. People go into slams all the time, injured, and it would be much better if they just didn't play the match and let somebody else take their place. But oh no, they go on, get three games under the belt, and then leave. I'd say that's a valid, uh, yeah, a very valid point, very valid point. Um, and well, maybe it's all of our faults Look, for may, not may, being. Maybe no, the guy's got but, a terrible attitude problem, right? That may be, the, that may be what the, 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 the truth is. I'm just telling you that there is a possibility that it is not just that. I think everyone's aware there's a possibility. And I'm giving you that, those circumstances. And I think if it is so that, that I'm very sympathetic it with it. But there are ways that you have to handle things. And even if it was that, 
he didn't handle it well at all and it looked bad for yeah, the sport. I, don't, I don't deny that um, but anyway yeah I, do, I, I don't believe that we should come down on him like an absolute ton of bricks um, I just think I commentated it and it looked it looked bad and it's just gutting because yeah that article the day before and the performance the week before and he's just so great and fundamentally really for me I know not everyone agrees really likeable and as a, as a could be a anyway anyway David's giving me that look we don't um, have all the answers just to so I, I keep saying that um, I will just give an update on the various races the situation with the race to Singapore is that it is over uh, we have our eight players for Singapore and Caroline Garcia is one of those eight players she has qualified uh, without having had to play uh, in Hong Kong this week she pulled out of Hong Kong she of course wasn't awarded a wild card for Moscow but no matter because Joe Conta has withdrawn from the Kremlin Cup in Moscow she says she said today that she will make a decision in the next few days as to whether she feels fit enough to travel to Singapore as an alternate um, we can make curious based assumptions about the uh, curious esque assumptions about what's going on with Joe Conta Mentally, my feeling is that I think what happened last year in Singapore affected her more than I realised at the time because she dealt with it so well. Um, her rocking up there, being in all the draw photos and being a part of it all and then Svetlana Kuznetsova knocking her out of position at the very last second and her having to sort of sit there magnanimously on the sidelines I think there is a foot injury don't get me wrong I'm not not questioning that she's lying about that but I also think there's something sort of psychological and emotional going on which is very understandable I can imagine that being probably more though to do with her form of late and how how much it is but then it's chicken and egg isn't it what what caused because, what and I, and I, you know, and I think it, it's it's both the, the, the psychological pressures have contributed to the lack of form and the lack of form have contributed to the psychological pressures yeah, for sure but as we've discussed a lot over the last couple of weeks Caroline Garcia in extraordinary form finally coming good on all that it talent and a very deserving and to, uh, to come from where she did and win those two particular titles to, to, to I mean, if ever you were going to take somebody's place that's the way to do it yeah and it's hard to argue that she's not deserving a quick update on the race to london in which there are very much places up for grabs pablo carreño buster currently in eighth position he has 2605 points but it's fair to say that those players in the tussle for the the last couple of positions generally speaking did not have a good week last week uh john isner kind of did the best of them but I commentated a couple of his matches including his loss to Victor Troitschke and he looked dead on his feet uh, I question what he has to left left to give in the rest of the season although let's remember he played brilliantly in Paris last year so we'll see Sam Querrey had a bad week Kevin Anderson had uh, a bad week Pablo Carreño Buster lost to Albert Ramos Vanola so they're all kind of falling by the wayside a bit apart from Juan Martín del Potro, who's up to 18th, has 1,885 points. If the wrist weren't a factor and he were able to play Stockholm and Paris, I would think he's in with a good shout. But, of course, there are physical concerns, wow. which, we've, which we've covered. So there you go. Uh, but it's exciting. I think the race for those final couple of positions is going to be exciting. Um, 
we asked for listener questions and I think it would be a bit rude now to completely ignore them. I know we're very, very tight for time, so I'm going to read them out and we're going to cover them extremely. I've picked three of the best ones. We're going to cover them extremely quickly. Uh, sorry uh, if we haven't picked yours, but there were three better ones, frankly. <laughs> Um, uh, first one uh, well in my view anyway uh, first one from Susie ATP player of the year is it Federer Nadal I know we've covered that a little bit in fact we've kind of covered it completely haven't we uh, is one of those the I mean, ATP, well, you've the covered it completely. My feeling is, uh, I think it's neck and neck at the moment. Yeah, it is, and that's why we have end of year player of the year awards here on the tennis podcast. So, do we? Yeah, yeah, we do. So right. wait, wait. Uh, don't you remember the Alan Mills episode from two years ago? Yeah, I mean, Come on, I, I just thought we could never top that. Well, so. we're doing it again. So <laughs> it's going to be a one-off. But, yeah. but yes, okay, Susie, we will defer that question to the end of the year. So that deals with that one quickly uh, Greg asks what are our thoughts on Stefano Tsitsipas who got his first ever tour level win uh, last week having qualified for the seventh time um, for a tournament for the year he, he's uh, a former junior world number one he's Greek uh, he took over from Denis Shapovalov as junior world number one he's just transitioning to the seniors to, to the not the seniors tour that would be a bit of a leap to the main tour uh, David is looking at me completely blankly so we might move on from this question quite quickly as well I think we might this is why we don't do listening questions yeah. very often especially people. not no, no uh, I think he is very talented but un- completely unproven at the moment in terms of senior level he's been plugging away on the, the, on the challenger tour he's been plugging away uh, with qualifying I like his attitude but he's not really been tested against the top level yet and uh, so until I see that I don't know that, that's the thing but it's always exciting to see somebody make dramatic moves early on in their career on the challenger circuit etc I I always like to look out for those guys and then see how they transition. Yeah, so wait and see, Greg. <laughs> it's our uh, very decisive uh, answer to that one. And then we have Will Slater asking, would Andy Murray's fitness be best served by skipping his exhibition event, his Andy Murray Live, which is uh, to benefit charity? I think bottom line, there's absolutely no way he's going to miss it, and that is to his great credit because he's just not the sort of guy that would. You know, I think he'd play it on one leg, frankly. I think if anything, it'll just help him sample a match court with a crowd again and run about fast and uh, and hit the ball. The, yeah. problem, the only problem is the bloke down the other end is Roger Federer, so that's slightly tricky. I think bottom line is we don't know because we don't know where Andy Murray is physically. He's not been hitting tennis balls for that long he's been doing a lot of rehab and working the gym and pilates and that sort of stuff he's only started hitting in the last week or so so we don't know but we do also know about exhibition tennis that i'm not saying it won't be a great match and it won't be competitive and i'm you know they're not going to go out there and dolly the ball but there is something in the back of their minds when it's an exhibition match that Nobody's going to be trying to humiliate anybody. Nobody's going to be falling over and risking injury or, you know, in terms of that sort of exertion, um, I think he's in in the clear. You know, it's it's not going to do him any damage. No. Uh, It's unlikely to do him any damage is what I'd say. Unless unless he was unlucky. Unless he was unlucky and, you know, you could be unlucky. You know, I fell over trying to put my socks on this morning did so, you? have you got <laughs> any video of that yeah, I've not uh, but yeah so unless he's highly unlucky I don't think he will be damaging his prospects over a turn and uh, Craig Tiley seems very confident that he'll be playing the Australian Open so, I wish I could have 
Craig, I have got Craig Tarley's Outlook. What am I talking about? And I haven't even got a <laughs> yeah, tournament to promote. So yeah, Craig Tarley learned it all from you, David. Excellent. Yeah, we're on for that Borg McEnroe final at the Australian Open. We can't wait. Uh, we have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, brought to you from the Putney Exchange and a coffee shop which we don't name because we haven't received any free coffee. See you next week. 